Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the third episode of Killer Cases, the series that focuses on murder cases from rise to demise. Today's case will be following a killer that only recently has gotten popular, despite being from the late 1800s. The one and only H.H. H. Holmes. H.H. H. Holmes is most known for his stint he did in Chicago, at a place he and local people referred to as the castle, where he is thought to have killed up to 200 people with a proven estimation of at least 27. So let's get started. H.H. H. Holmes was born under the name Herman Webster Mudgett to Levi Horton Mudgett and his wife Theodate Page Price in May 1861 in the town of Gilminton, New Hampshire. His parents would, as punishment, send him and his siblings into the attic for a full day without eating or speaking. As is typical for most serial killers, his dad was also abusive when he had been drinking, which was a regular occurrence during his childhood. According to some rumors, his infatuation with death also started at a young age, when his kids, who had heard of his fear of the doctor's office, forced him to touch a skeleton, expecting him to be afraid. However, quite the opposite happened, and he became infatuated with death. Another spark to his infatuation is that his one and only friend in childhood died when the two were playing outside. From there, he was known to attack, kill, and dissect animals in the woods. At the age of 16, he left home, married Clara A. Lovering, and started a job as a teacher. Not much happened in the next three years of his life, till at 19, he went to the University of Michigan Medical School and left his wife. While enrolled, he started his first insurance scam. He would take out insurance policies on the people that he listed as family members and steal bodies from the local school laboratory, then disfigure the corpses and claim that the people had been accidentally killed. Mudgett would then collect the insurance money. After graduating in 1884, he got a job as a keeper at the Norristown Asylum which is now Norristown State Hospital. The experience horrified him, so he took a position at a drugstore instead. After a customer who took medicine he dispensed died, he left town. It was then that he moved to Chicago under the name Dr. Henry H. Holmes and got a job at a local pharmacy. However, just before he had started working there, the man who had owned the pharmacy had passed away and left the drugstore to his wife. For a while, Holmes seemed like the perfect assistant, slowly taking more and more responsibility in the drugstore till he was basically running the place. It was at this point where he struck a deal with the old lady, supposedly telling her that if she sold him the business, she could stay in the living quarters attached to the business and he would pay her monthly. She agreed. However, shortly after, he stopped giving her the agreed-upon payments and she took him to court. However, before the case could be pursued, she disappeared. Now officially, according to Holmes, she had gone to California as she could not stay in her husband's rooms. However, many believe Holmes to have killed her despite a body never being found. Shortly after acquiring the drugstore, he married a woman named Myrta Z. Belknap in 1887 and had a daughter named Lucy. It wasn't until after his marriage that he tried to file a divorce from his first wife. A divorce which was never finalized. He and Myrta did not even live in the same city, 
as he stayed in Chicago and she stayed in Wilmette. John Belknap, the father of Merita, would later discover that Holmes had tried to cheat him out of property by forging his name on deeds. He would also claim that Holmes had tried to poison him when he was confronted about the fraudulent papers. Myrtle ended the marriage in 1889. It was also around this time, in 1889, that he started construction on what would be known as the Castle, which was a building that was about three stories high and took up about a block of space. The first story consisted of several businesses, including a jeweler. The second and third story, however, was comprised of an office and over 100 windowless rooms, with secret passageways, trap doors, and stairs that led to nowhere. The basement was just as bad, as it contained a dissecting table, stretching rack, and a crematory. According to reports, to make sure that no one but him knew the entire details of what he was creating, during construction he would routinely fire entire construction crews and hire new ones. During its construction, Holmes continued to operate the drugstore and added a jewelry counter hiring a man named Ned Connor, later also hiring his wife as his bookkeeper. The family moved into the small apartment above the store, and soon Julia, the wife, began an affair with Holmes, for which Ned abandoned her and her daughter. There is no documentation as to what the building was referred to officially. However, it is heavily documented that in the decades that followed, police and locals referred to the building as the Murder Castle. The building was opened in 1891 and would be in business for the next three years. Holmes then placed ads in newspapers offering jobs for young women and advertised the castle as a place of lodging. He also placed ads presenting himself as a wealthy young man looking for a wife. The catch was that all love interests, fiancés, workers, and guests were required to take out life insurance policies that Holmes would pay for with the stipulation that he would be the beneficiary. In 1893, Holmes met a young woman named Minnie Williams. He told her that his name was Harry Gordon and that he was a wealthy inventor. Holmes' interest in her had been piqued when he learned that she was the heir to a Texas real estate fortune. She was in Chicago working as an instructor for a private school. It wasn't long before she and Holmes were engaged to be married. Not long after they became engaged, both Julia and her daughter disappeared. When Ned Connor later inquired after them, Holmes explained that they had moved to Michigan. He later admitted that Julia had died during a bungled abortion that he had performed on her, after which he poisoned her daughter. Later, he stated, But I would have gotten rid of her anyway, he said. I was tired of her, as she started to get jealous of Minnie. Over the next few years, it is believed that Minnie was an accomplice to Holmes' crimes, even instigating a few murders of his love interest, including Emily Van Tassel and Emmeline Sigrand. Holmes claims that he locked up Emmeline in a soundproof room and killed her because many objected to him lusting after her. Robert Phelps, the man who was betrothed to Emmeline, made the mistake of dropping by to inquire about her whereabouts, and thus became Holmes's next victim. He used Phelps for a stretching experiment, in which he tested how much punishment a human body could take via stretching the body to its breaking point. According to Holmes, he had ensured Minnie be complicit in his crimes by protecting her when she accidentally killed her sister with a chair by hitting her over the head during an argument. 
He then proceeded to help her by getting rid of the body. A short time later, Holmes and Minnie traveled to Denver in the company of another young woman, Georgiana Yoke, who had come to Chicago from Indiana with a tarnished reputation. She had applied for a job at the castle and Holmes had told her that his name was Henry Howard and that Minnie was his cousin. On January 17, 1894, Holmes and Georgiana were married at Vendome Hotel in Denver, with Minnie as their witness. After that, the wedding party, which consisted of all three of them, traveled to Texas, where they claimed Minnie's property and arranged a horse swindle. Holmes purchased several railroad cards of horses with counterfeit fake notes and signed the papers as O.C. Pratt. The horses were then shipped to St. Louis and sold. Holmes made off with a fortune, but it would be this swindle that would later come back and destroy him. It is believed that on the way back to Chicago, or upon their return, Holmes killed Minnie as she was never seen again. July 1894 marks Holmes's first arrest, not for the murders, but for the horse swindle. While in prison, Holmes makes a move that would later cause his downfall. Talking with his cellmate, he makes a deal with them to get the name of a lawyer who would help him with further schemes in exchange for a $500 commission to his cellmate. This lawyer turned out to be Colonel Jephthah Howe, the brother of a public defender. Holmes has concocted a plan to try and trick an insurance company out of $20,000 by, t by taking out a policy on himself and then faking his death, and Hal found Holmes's plan to be brilliant. Holmes's plan to fake his death failed, however, when the insurance company became suspicious and refused to pay. Holmes did not press his claim. Instead, he concocted a similar plan with his associate, Benjamin Pizel. Pizel had agreed to fake his own death so that his wife could collect the $10,000 insurance policy split amongst her, Holmes, and Howe. He was supposed to set himself up as B.F. Perry and then be quote-unquote killed and disfigured in a lab explosion, where then Holmes would find a cadaver. However, Holmes had different plans. Instead, he killed Pizel and collected the policy himself. Then, fearing the family would come after him, he persuaded Pizel's wife to let him take care of three of their children, taking them on a trip parallel with the wife, refusing to give the wife the exact location of her children all the way to Canada, telling her her husband was in South America. Holmes gassed and buried the two daughters in Toronto, before heading to Indianapolis to kill the son there by poisoning, dismembering, and burning the body. Then he continued traveling for the rest of his free life. The oversight that brought an end to him, however, was not paying his old cellmate the money he had promised. In 1894, the police were tipped off by his former cellmate on his insurance scams. It was there that the Pinkertons got involved. Tracking him down to Boston from Philadelphia, it was November 17, 1894 when he was arrested on an outstanding warrant for the horse thefts in Texas. Authorities had no idea about the murders but became suspicious when he appeared poised to leave the country. This caused them to further investigate his past, eventually coming in contact with a former custodian for the castle. 
The former custodian informed them that he was never allowed to clean the upper floors. From there, police began a thorough investigation over the course of the next month, uncovering Holmes' efficient methods of committing murders and then disposing of the corpses. A fire of mysterious origins consumed the building on August 19, 1895, thus exposing more of the corpses. The number of his victims has typically been estimated between 20 and 100, and sometimes even as high as 200, based upon missing persons reports of the time, as well as the testimony of Holmes' neighbors, who reported seeing him accompany unidentified women into his hotel, young women, whom they never saw exit again. The discrepancy in the numbers can perhaps be best attributed to the fact that a great many people came to Chicago to see the World's Fair, but for one reason or another, never returned home. The only verified number is 27, although police had commented that some of the bodies in the basement were so badly dismembered and decomposed that it was difficult to tell how many bodies there actually were. The typical demographic of Holmes's victims were primarily women and primarily blondes, but included some men and children. Holmes was put on trial for the murder of Peitzel and his children while serving his sentence for insurance fraud and confessed following his conviction to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto, and six attempted murders. Holmes was paid $7,500 by the Hearst Papers in exchange for this confession. However, he gave various contradictory accounts of his life, initially claiming innocence and later that he was possessed by Satan. It is because of this no one is quite sure how much of his confessions are true and how much of it he made up. On May 7, 1896, Holmes was hanged at Philadelphia County Prison. Until the moment of his death, Holmes remained calm, showing very few signs of fear, anxiety, or depression. During his execution, it is said that the executor had asked him, Ready, Dr. Holmes? To which he replied, Yes, don't bungle. This final request did not get fulfilled, as Holmes's neck did not snap immediately. He instead died slowly, twitching over 15 minutes, before being finally pronounced dead after 20. After he was deceased, his body was buried in concrete per his request, so no one would ever be able to dig him up and dissect his body as he did to so many others. Overall, Holmes was a con man, fascinated with death, with intricate plots and thought-out cons. It's no surprise it took so long for him to be caught, especially in the 1800s. With an MO similar to a Black Widow killer with a twist, it is intriguing and horrifying how successful he was at killing for around five years. H.H. Holmes has gone down in American history as one of the serial killers with the highest potential body count. No matter how many bodies you believe, he claimed, it is indisputable that his scheme is one of the most horrific and well-thought-out schemes of any serial killer in history. Thank you for listening to another episode of Killer Cases. This has been DJ Unsub. Join us next time as we go over Harold Shipman. Thank you.